0: Welcome to Evidence to Excellence, news in neuroplasticity and rehab powered by The Recovery Project. We want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're glad that you're here because this podcast is designed to keep you updated on what's new in research and evidence in the neurorehabilitation world. Now, here's your host, Polly Swingle, CEO and co-owner of The Recovery Project. Welcome everybody to our next episode of Evidence to Excellence. My name is Polly Swingle and I will be your host today as I've been the host for all of the other podcasts. I am so excited and I think I probably say this all the time when we do a podcast that I'm excited. But this subject that we're going to talk about today is so dear to my heart that you guys all know that um, I work for a company called The Recovery Project that myself and my partner in business, Charlie Parkhill, started 20 years ago. And when we started The Recovery Project, the medical program that we started with was spinal cord injury. And this diagnosis, this treatment with spinal cord injury is where I started. And um, if you guys don't know this and haven't read our story, um, my partner in business, Charlie, um, has a spinal cord injury and um, was my patient, boy, probably 30 years ago. And again, when we started the recovery project, we were like, let's give individuals that suffer from a cord injury the most efficient, effective Optimal treatment that we can. So, a couple years ago, I think we did speak on spinal cord injury, but I wanted to bring this topic up again because the evidence has changed. Um, we are seeing in, in in science that um, there is so much neuroplasticity with spinal cord injury, and the approaches of treatment that we're seeing, there's a lot more evidence to really show what is working. So today I have with me one of, um, and I'm going to say this, Maddie, one of our best Therapist that we have here at the company, and she works in our Clinton, or excuse me, in our Clinton, in our clinic in Clinton Township. And Maddie is a doctor of physical therapy. And Maddie, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you went to school, how long you've been practicing PT, and also how long you've worked here at the Recovery Project? Welcome.
1: Thank you. Hi. So I went to Oakland University for physical therapy school. I graduated in 2017, and before that, I didn't really know where I wanted to specialize with physical therapy, and then I had the opportunity to have a clinical rotation where I got to learn and be engulfed in all of the treatments with spinal cord injuries and the neuropopulation at the Recovery Project, and I got to start working here in February 2018. I've been working here since then. And so it's been five and a half years that I've gotten to learn and grow and be here with the evidence-based research as it continues to, they go deeper into the evidence-based research and it's been fun to treat spinal cord injuries and become kind of very, not kind of, very knowledgeable about spinal cord injuries and treatments and plans and interventions.
0: You know, she really has you guys and I think... One of the signs of that is is—is she has treated so many patients with spinal cord injury, and every customer satisfaction has been just exceptional. And we have this list of everybody wants to see Maddie. So I'm so proud of you, and I'm Thank so thrilled you. to have you here. So let's start this by giving you a little bit of... Um, Background, maybe some demographics on what we're seeing with spinal cord injury in the United States. So approximately 12,500 new spinal cord injuries occur each year in the U.S., meaning 40 out of every 1 million people may suffer from this type of an injury. Incomplete injuries are more common than complete injuries. And we're going to talk a little bit about this and dive deeper into this in a little bit. Injuries most often happen to people to between the age of 16 and 30. And again, we're going to dive into this a little deeper, but the current uh, average age of someone living with a spinal cord injury is 43. And me being in this industry and treating this diagnosis for over 35 years, we are definitely seeing that people with spinal cord injury can live the full lifespan of, of an adult. They're, the medical intervention is so much better. And really management with this type of injury um, can keep people health, healthy for the, for the rest of their life. Um, the most common cause of spinal cord injuries are motor vehicle accidents followed by falls, acts of violence, and sports. About 78% of spinal cord injuries uh, include or are involved with males versus females. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Recovery Project. And here at the Recovery Project, we've been providing outpatient Um, treatment um, with a multidisciplinary team for um, 20 years. And again, this is one of our strongest programs here. And one of the things that I think we've done very well at is following the evidence, which is what we're going to talk about today, but also providing those tools for our therapists so that they are more efficient and effective in, in providing the most effective treatment. So, you guys ready? Let's dive into this, and Maddie can share all of her wealth of information. All right, Maddie, so let's get started. So, let's start with some of the, the easy type of questions. Why are we seeing more individuals with spinal cord injury being diagnosed with an incomplete injury versus a complete injury?
1: So... As Polly had mentioned before, over the past 20 years, there's been a lot of evidence and research that has become more advanced, um, improved. So as someone gets a spinal cord injury, we're able to get them to the hospital sooner, get ice on them, get them the steroids, get them medications that can reduce the inflammation quickly, and then also get them into surgery faster than releasing you and discharging you to an inpatient center or a nursing facility where you can get that rehab and start the benefits of getting the inflammation out of your spinal cord and getting that blood flowing to hopefully get the muscle regeneration that you can. And we're seeing with that quick turnaround and getting the inflammation down that a lot more injuries now are incomplete compared to complete.
0: Exactly, exactly. And Maddie, can you talk a little bit about why we're seeing more of men that suffer from this type of injury versus females?
1: Yes. Yeah, so with males, they're notoriously bigger risk takers. Um, so we see a lot of high speed motorcycle car accidents um, with spinal cord injuries or just car accidents in general. Um, just men tend to be a little bit more wild and risk takers than women. And so that's why we see the population of men a lot more than women with spinal cord injuries.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, a little bit that we see as well is, you know, I think people are living longer, you know, definitely that the age expectancy is a lot longer. So I think I've seen at least in the last 20 years, a little bit of an uptick of spinal cord injury due to falls with some of our, like, geriatric population. Yeah, Maddie's, like, shaking her head because we do see that, you know, somebody falling down the stairs or falling off of a ladder, or even tripping, that they would then suffer from a spinal cord injury. That's my
1: biggest thing. I always tell people, and now I'm so aware, going down the stairs, be careful. Be careful, people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So let
0: let me talk a little bit about kind of the history. Again, I've been practicing physical therapy for over 35 years. And When I graduated from college in the 80s, and I know some of you guys listening are probably saying, okay, I wasn't even born then. But when I graduated in the 80s and I I fell in love with treating neuro back then, that when I did my inpatient rotation, that we would see somebody that was quadriplegic. And they would be an in inpatient rehab for six to nine months, which is just not heard of now. I mean, we would not discharge these individuals until they were independent with wheelchair management, independent with bed mobility transfers, and really able to care for themselves. And over the past 20, 30 years, this has really changed. And kind of that course of treatment that we now see with this type of injury is that, as Maddie said, they really can get them stable medically much, much quicker than what they used to. They are definitely, from a medical side, much better at really paying attention to skin integrity, you know, respiratory, cardiac and really getting these individuals medically stable, if it's a fusion in the cervical spine or wherever, so that they can start getting involved in rehab right away. So they're in the acute setting ICU for a much, much shorter period of time. And sometimes it can be, you know, one to two weeks, and then they're transferred right to inpatient rehab. And what we're seeing in inpatient rehab is that somebody, let's say, has a C6 quadriplegia, that they may only be in inpatient rehab for three to four to maybe five months. And then they're transferred to either home. Maybe they'll go into a subacute program. And for you guys that don't know what subacute is, subacute is is a program where they get rehab, PT and OT, but a lot of the times it's in a, a nursing home type setting. We're also seeing many people that are discharged. Right, from inpatient rehab and going into home care. And some of them are staying into home care just because they're not quite medically ready to go to outpatient or may not have the knowledge of the importance of getting into outpatient that quickly.
1: I have something to add. I think that... A lot too that has to do with the length of stay is the resources that we have available now we have wheelchair accessible vans we have transportation systems so really if you are in this situation ask questions and advocate for yourself because there are a lot of resources that we're able to utilize now for this population that allows them to get into their house quicker to get back to rehabbing and doing the things that they did more independently and not having that mindset that I'm going to be in the hospital now for, for six to nine months. I'm going to my home and they make it accessible. There's a lot of tools that your doctors can set you up with to help with getting to the next place. And so you can be back home and comfortable and start that rehab and getting back your function again.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, one of the things that we've seen, especially for this population, because as I said earlier, you know, the number one reason is motor vehicle accidents that in Michigan, we've had the change in the no fault law. And I know we've talked about this in different podcasts, but what we're seeing, from an outpatient rehab standpoint, is that the resources aren't there, that now if somebody is covered under no-fault auto, that there are some auto companies that are really limiting the amount of outpatient therapy. We have some patients that may be only able to get anywhere from two to three months of therapy per year post their spinal cord injury, and they need so much more. Because of this, it is so crucial, and this is what we're going to talk about today, Is that it's so crucial that the therapy is effective, that it's efficient, and that it's really based on evidence. So let me ask this question, Maddie. We talk about neuroplasticity, and so I want to ask you and to explain to our audience what is neuroplasticity.
1: Okay. I love the concept of neuroplasticity because it is so cool. It's the ability of your neurosystem, neuro, so your brain and your spinal cord, to be able, plasticity, to be able to mold and rewire and recreate new nerve pathways to get your body to optimally function again. So these principles apply significantly to rehabilitation with someone with a spinal cord injury because what happens with a spinal cord injury is that hardware, your spinal cord, it's cut off, and people think that, it's, people are under the impression that once that's cut off, your, your body, it, that, that area, you can't get it back. But actually, with research, we are able to create and rewire nerve pathways from your ba- brain and your spinal cord to fire to the muscles to regenerate nerve pathways and get you to function and get you to move your arms and legs and get sensation again. So it's a very cool son- concept. It's use it, Use it, use it, force yourself to use it. And also, um, just believing believing that your body and mind and knowing that your body and mind is capable of creating these pathways to optimize your rehab potential.
0: Yeah, and I know that we're gonna dive deeper
1: into this, but
0: you know, those principles that use it or lose it, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about that all the time. The principles of you gotta add that intensity. Yes. The repetitions, which we're gonna talk about a little bit later there's as a, well.
1: There's a really, really good saying that I like to use. So it kind of breaks it down in a simpler way. When you learn to ride your bike, you don't know how to ride your bike right away. You, you ride it, you ride it, you practice, you go out, and then eventually it becomes a learned behavior. Now, once you have learned how to ride your bike, you're able to ride it for the rest of your life. You have that memory in your brain and that's a nerve pathway that you have created. So neuroplasticity is when someone has a spinal cord injury, what do we have to do again? We have to teach you how to walk. We have to teach you how to use your hand again. So what are we going to do? We're going to rewire that nerve pathway. We're going to recreate it just like you did when you were a kid, rewiring your brain and spinal cord to ride your bike again. Now we're doing it a little differently as an adult. That's okay. Or as a teenager, whatever age you are. But we're rewiring that brain and that spinal cord to get your body to move again in the way that we're 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 craving, oh man, we're creating the pathway to fire those muscles.
0: (laughs) So I love that analogy. So what are some of the evidence-based interventions out there and that you are using on a regular basis with your spinal cord injured patients?
1: So I've learned that repetition is one of the biggest principles in spinal cord rehab. You need to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Just like going back to that riding your bike example. If you want to walk again, we're going to repeat it. We're going to repeat walking. If you want to use your arm again to feed yourself, we're going to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. So that's one of the principles. Another one is intensity. So this is something that I've – I've always been a pretty intense person. So (laughs) it came easy for me, this principle, but just intense, intense therapy. So getting that heart rate up, pushing them to their limit, um, having them do that – you guys do that one more rep that you think you can't do. Your mind is capable, and that's how you create that new – that next segment of that nerve pathway to get it eventually to fire. So intense – Walking at speeds that research has shown us that we'll get into later. Um, Blood flow restriction. Basically, that's intense exercise strengthening that will bring pump blood to your muscles. Um, Weight bearing, increasing your heart rate. Um, an external stimulus. So this is something that is really important. Um, You can use it with functional electrical stimulation, vibration plate, um, increased weight bearing. And again, we'll get into that later on. But this external stimulus is very important because when your spinal cord or brain is impacted, you can't you, you can't, you do have sensation, but your sensation isn't as optimal as it was before. And when you don't have sensation in those body parts, you're not, the brain, it's more difficult for the brain and the spinal cord to get them to fire the way that you want them to. So putting a stimulus on that muscle group allows the brain to recognize that, oh, this is the muscle that I want to fire. And it also, there's other great properties of stimulus, not only acknowledging that where the muscles are in your body and what you're trying to fire, but it also, there's a lot of benefits with the external stimulus and strengthening, bringing blood flow and uh, tone management, etc.
0: So let's break this down a little bit. Let's first talk about stimulus and functional electrical stim. So if the audience doesn't know, why didn't you explain... What is functional electrical stim and what are some of those tools that you use for that?
1: Okay, so uh, functional stimulus, FES, functional electrical stimulation. So this is a way to get your brain and your spinal cord to connect to certain muscle groups, getting blood to that area and you're bringing blood flow to certain uh, multiple muscle groups and it's forming a contraction. What blood does is it brings oxygen and healing properties to those muscles that aren't getting optimal blood flow following an injury because you're not using them. Um, functional electrical stimulation, it's really cool. In the clinic, we have a cycle where we're able to set up pads on the front of your leg, your calf, your, your the top of your, your thigh, so your quad and your hamstring, your glutes, and your back. And this fires, in a way, the the pads make it so they contract in a way that helps the brain and the person become aware and it's retraining how to walk again. We also have an Excite functional electrical stimulation that is task specific, which is another intervention of evidence-based research for spinal cord injuries. But task specific is say you really want to transfer on your own um, and you don't want to use the lift anymore. We can plug into the Excite the pad placements that will allow you to transfer on your own independently and will work towards that goal. It promotes healing, um, functional electrical stimulation. It helps with strengthening your muscles and your bones, which I would like to add on to that is, is it's a heavy contraction. It's not like a TENS unit that's just numbness and tingling. It's going to add a strong contraction, which allows you to strengthen your muscles um, and bones. It promotes lymphatic drainage, so you can get your all of your those toxins that have been sitting there because you haven't been adequately, adequately able to pump um, to get that flowing. It helps with wound care management, contracture management. So there's a lot of benefits to functional electrical stimulation, even when you are trying to get better, but also in maintaining your where you are right now and not allowing for any a decrease. So you're getting your blood flowing and getting your body moving.
0: You know, one of the things I think, at least in my experience as well, is, you know, we see, we are seeing more and more people with incomplete injuries, but we also still see people with a complete injury. And one of the things that, you know, I feel it's challenging that, When somebody is newly injured, and I think Maddie will agree with this, that we have seen some people that are newly injured that may be diagnosed with ASIA, a complete injury. But once they start rehabbing and that they're going to the right rehab where you are really working below that level of injury, which we're going to talk about, that sometimes that ASIA scale Changes because right when somebody is first injured, there's a lot of spinal shock, there's a lot of things going on, but then we start seeing some of that recovery. But speaking of FES, I just wanted to share that. You know, there are benefits both for incomplete and complete injuries. And, and, and Maddie was just talking about all of these benefits. And I think what's clear is that somebody clearly has an incomplete injury and definitely has some muscle contractions below that level of injury when they're working with FES, that they are working on getting more muscle control below the level of injury, strengthening those muscles below the level of injury, of really working towards more function, maybe walking, maybe transferring, whatever that may be. But there are so many benefits for somebody with a complete injury to still do FES. And as she said, you know, one of the things that we see is that it's a cardiovascular Impact that we can see that people are increasing their heart rate. So you're exercising your heart. You're exercising your lungs, which is so important for optimal health circulation. Because one of the risk factors with the spinal cord injuries, you may not have sensation, so you may be more at risk for wounds. So definitely. FVL helps with that circulation, helps with that skin integrity. The other thing is that when people have a spinal cord injury, that they are going to be also more at risk for osteopenia or osteoporosis. And some people have this this false knowledge, I guess, that how do we prevent osteopenia or osteoporosis? It would be just weight-bearing, but really to prevent that, the muscle has to, pull on the bone. So even just standing in a standing frame isn't going to change the, the, um, growth of bone or the formation of your bone, that you have to have your muscles pulling on that bone. So working with FES, let's say you're in a standing frame or on a tilt table and you have FES connected to your quads or your glutes or your hamstrings, that contraction of pulling on that muscle can definitely help with decreasing that risk of osteopenia. Anything you want to add on that?
1: I completely agree. And as a new clinician five years ago, that's something that, you know, I wasn't completely aware of. So if you are listening and you're in school or a new grad, like, just remember to acknowledge and know that complete injuries – At first, I I didn't understand this, but now I see the benefit and I can, like Polly said, mentioned earlier, they went from, they can go down the scale. You can regain with that neuroplasticity, as we mentioned earlier, you can get some sensation back. You can get some movement back because the inflammation is going down. So making, and then also making sure maintenance of health, that is so important because what the FES, as Polly said, does is it helps with the wound care and the contractions. And if we're unable – in getting that stem and getting that blood flow will prevent it um, because if you are a complete spinal cord injury and that happens to you, you know – That's a lot of um, medical visits that you'd want to focus on your goal of what you're doing in therapy, not going back. And so manage your health, get stim on your legs, get that blood flowing, because it's really, really important to optimize your health.
0: You know, and I always say to people, ask me that may have a complete injury is, you know, why do I need to keep doing all of this? And I'm a lot older than Maddie, but what I have seen is just medical intervention in, in so many different diagnoses is changing so rapidly. I hope in my lifetime that somebody discovers treatment, a cure, who knows for people that have a, that have a complete spinal yeah. cord injury, <laughs> that I always say to people, optimize your health. Yes. Keep your muscles, bones, and body as healthy as you can so if something does come down the pipe that can help you gain movement or repair it, that your body's ready.
1: I love that. Yeah. That's so true because technology, we're we're, and medical advancements and with research, we're, it's cool what's coming up. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk,
0: we're going to stick to incomplete injuries and I want to talk a little bit about walking and then we can talk a little bit about um, the benefits of using a body weight support treadmill system. So we see a lot of incomplete cords and the goal is I want to walk again. Um so why don't you kind of take that question and fill the audience in on kind of your approach to that and some of the tools that you're using to get that high intensity gate and how to make that happen.
1: Okay. So incomplete injury comes in and they say I want to walk again. My thought process is we're getting the functional electrical stimulation on and we are putting weight through their system. Um, whether that may be through standing frame with FES, as Polly mentioned, because you're approximating the bones, you're approximating your bones with the weight bearing, which helps with, has a lot of benefits. So I'll start with full weight bearing helps with tone management because after a spinal cord injury at times, you either have very high tone or very low tone, meaning you're going to be in a super tight position or your muscles are going to be very loose, weight bearing and approximating those bones on top of each other allows for breakdown of those spasms and also for building muscle so i i would do that prolonged standing getting their core and postural strength because if you want to walk again you have to have that stability around your trunk in order to stack your trunk on, on top of your legs while also being able to advance your legs so retraining the core retraining the posture. My coworkers sometimes think I'm crazy because I'll have my patients do 50 chin tucks, 50 scapular retractions, which are all small stabilizing muscles, but it's that repetition of a good posture and keeping your vertebrae in line. So your spinal cord can optimally fire and hopefully regain that connection to get the muscles to fire.
0: I think there's, you know, and I, I'm a big component of respiratory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know when I was teaching a lot, I would always say to my students, also don't ever forget to tap into that respiratory system, especially for individuals that may have quadriplegia, totally. even high-level paras, right? Because we know that our breathing muscles, yep, we all know this is our diaphragm, but also we have all of these accessory muscles, including our abdominals, and really address that in therapy of really going over very specific breathing exercises. This is how you breathe with your diaphragm, you know, working on that deep breath, working on that effective cough, those kind of things. Because also we have to think about that respiratory infection, Um, pneumonia can be one of those high risk type of secondary medical complications that we see with this population of patients. So definitely don't forget to address that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about walking. So tell me a little bit about how you use the body weight support treadmill system. I guess, why do you use it?
1: Okay. I love body weight because backing up on my, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole of like, I got excited about what I want to do with my spinal cord injuries, but forced walking and body weight supported treadmill is fantastic. And it's another approach that I use every time with my clients. So what it does is it allows you to put the client with a spinal cord injury in a system that is able to unweight you, and you're completely safe. So there's no falling, there's no guarding. Then what we can do on the treadmill with that body weight supported treadmill is crank the speed up. Research and evidence-based research has shown 1.2 miles per hour on the treadmill or higher is the way to get that neuroplasticity and get those um, nerve connections firing again. So I will grab a a tech, a helper, we'll get on the treadmill, we'll unweight them, and then we'll just go at 1.2 miles per hour. Even if they're having difficulty activating, we're still getting, again, the repetition. The intensity, which is cardiovascular, pumping the blood to all of the muscles, getting that swelling out. The the specific training of walking again. So you're practicing what you want to do. So we're walking. And then the stimulus, so you're getting that weight bearing. You're getting, and I'll put a mirror there. So stimulus, again, can be an external feedback of them seeing themselves walking. If you're seeing yourself do the task, then your brain is able to convince yourself that you can get those muscles to fire and you have a better you have an improved and increased chance of getting those muscles to fire. You have to trick your brain to getting the muscles to fire again and you can see that with walking.
0: What about overground walking? Is there a benefit?
1: There is a benefit to overground walking. Um so we've been I, we have the exoskeleton, and then I've had the opportunity to work with the C-braces, which allows us to, and we have a solo step here. So the solo step is full weight-bearing and walking over ground. These devices and the robotic systems allow full weight-bearing, as I mentioned earlier, the full weight-bearing for the recovery and spinal cord injury. Along with the robotics and walking over ground, you're able to get the full you 're able to get proper gait mechanics, which is able to retrain your brain and your spinal cord to get you to walking again, so I love full weight bearing over ground, but initial injury a new patient, depending on how much you have back, I just want to try and pump out the muscles and do the forced the forced weight the forced um, walking on the treadmill. Prior, because it's that repetition, and then when we and then we'll do walking over ground when we gain that trunk stability and the respiratory strength, like Polly mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, I think there's, you know, I always get this question too about. You know, there's a lot of um, exoskeletons out there. There's a lot of different type of robotics out there, and you know, right now the evidence is supporting, as Maddie just said, the evidence is really supporting that we need to have the patient actively involved in whatever the activity is. So if it's walking, they need to be actively involved, which means we want somebody to be able to contract those muscles as they learn to walk again. Unfortunately, the evidence is not there yet for some of the exoskeletons out there if you're completely passive you know, in that exoskeleton and that system, whatever that is, is moving your legs and you aren't actively participating. Right. And I know that sometimes Maddie, um, myself in my career have had to have these conversations because I know it feels so good sometimes for patients to be in some of the devices out there where the the robot, the exoskeleton is doing all the work, yet they're not participating. And there just isn't the evidence there yet to say, all right, this is going to transfer over to that neural plasticity, which we're all about. Let's find your recovery, okay? Because right. our goal is let's get you independent with this. You know, one thing I have said to patients that use these exoskeletons is being upright, lots of benefits. Yes. Great for bowel and bladder, great for breathing, great for skin integrity great for postural postural changes, for, you know, working on that risk of joint contractures. Mm -hmm. So there are some of those benefits. But if you're really looking at the goal of returning to walking, the evidence right now does support high intensity. As Maddie said, you got to push it. You have to have an elevated heart rate. You really got to put that effort in. One question I was going to ask you, Maddie, is do you ever use like virtual reality with any of your cord injuries
1: I personally have not used virtu- virtual reality yet but my coworkers do and I think it is a fantastic fantastic treatment option what it does is it put you're able to put the person in the harness and then t- kind of take them out of a stimulus of where they are right now and you can play games you can play sports which is again that neuroplasticity and it re it challenges your balance it challenge ch- uh, challenges your weight shifting it ch- it challenges a bunch of great properties that kind of takes you out of what you are you are in the moment and it allows you to just not think and act and i've seen and do and that is a really great benefit for getting weight shifting weight bearing it it distracts you from the task to make it more tolerable for prolonged amounts of time of weight bearing and shifting and getting all of that strengthening done so that's something that i need to put to use more I, i know that um
0: You know, in all of our clinics, we have different um, types of virtual reality, and I see it a lot, especially with our occupational therapists. That if you're, you know, if you're working on that specific task of, of reaching or some of that fine motor, that there there are some really neat type of tools in virtual reality, as you said that you are in this environment where you're in the grocery store yes. and you know, you can see it. So then you, your brain is going to be like, all right, I remember the last time I was in the, in yeah. the grocery store and I have to reach on the second shelf for those cans of soup that really that activation brings that pathway back. As you said, yes. like riding a bike yes. brings it back and helps activate some of those movement patterns again.
1: That is so true. I, that's a, that's a great point.
0: So let's switch gears a little bit because, as we said earlier, is that, thank goodness, we are seeing that the medical intervention, that the rehab process, that we are so much better of providing medical care for people with spinal cord injuries. And what we're seeing is that people with a spinal cord injury can live a fulfilling life and live that full expectancy of their life. But what we see, especially in an outpatient practice, is that we will get a referral for a spinal cord injured individual that was injured 20 years ago. And now they're coming in for not just looking at the rehabilitation approach to the spinal cord injury, but really looking at some musculoskeletal type issues. So I wanted to address that with you, Maddie, of how important it is as a treating PT with this type of diagnosis to really pay attention to the musculoskeletal system and some of the things that you may see with long-term living with this type of injury.
1: I'm really happy that you brought that up, Polly, because it's something that I've noticed as I've started treating more that it kind of gets neglected In the beginning, and then now I realize that you have to be so much more aware of the musculoskeletal system because that is your independence. Um, I see a lot of that can be your independence with what you're given. So transfers, um, overuse of your shoulders, wearing down your shoulders. If you get a rotator cuff injury, then... How is one able, I've seen my clients, how is he able to manage transfers on his own driving? Because now you have to get a surgery when you're in so much pain because you can feel your shoulder, but you you it's difficult for you to do things independently now because you have – that rotator cuff injury. I've seen a lot of neck pain, headache management, hip flexor contractures. So from sitting in the chair all day. So a lot of low back pain issues I've seen a lot. So it is important to just tap into your body and be aware of overuse compensation injuries and listen to to your body. So make sure for spinal cord injuries, you guys are laying on your stomach um because getting those hip flexors stretched out is going to be imperative for one low back pain contractures but also um it gives you a better chance of being able to stand upright and you're not in that forward flex posture so a lot of musculoskeletal injuries do come from spinal cord injuries and it's very important to be aware of them
0: yeah and i think that you know it's it's important to work with your physical therapist that you see because of depending, I should say, depending on the level of injury, people may move with compensation. Yes, right. You know, somebody may not have full intervention of their tricep, let's say. Mm-hmm. So they're going to move very differently. And twenty years of moving that way then can cause tendinitis and impingements. And as you said, rotator cuff issues that then can so much affect their quality of life. Yes. And and I always say to, um, and I think I'm going to use Charlie Park, my Charlie Parker, my partner. In business, um, an example that when he listens to this, he's probably going to kill me, but I'll tell you guys anyways. (laughs) That when he he was first injured, um, he wanted so badly to use a manual wheelchair. And it was that whole idea of being in a power chair and thinking in his head, well, hold on. I'm going to look different if I'm in a manual chair versus a power chair. And as his PT... He was way, way more functional in a power chair because it took so much time to propel a manual chair and posture wasn't there. The trunk control wasn't there. The compensation of movement was there. But, you know, as therapists, and Maddie's nodding her head, you guys, you really got to sometimes allow people to come to their own conclusion on their own than constantly pushing the issue. But I'm happy to say that after probably six to nine months of struggling, and when I finally said, let's try it. Let's have somebody bring in a power chair and just try it. And changed his life. And it was because of function and his quality of life. I mean, he could get to point eight, from point B I mean this is an individual that runs a company works full time loved his seat elevator that when he's you know he's six five right yeah. so when he was talking to somebody boop raises his chair up and he's right at eye level so there's a lot of those things to consider and to have those discussions with your physical therapist to be like you know when I'm 70 I want to make sure that I can do everything that I want to do so help me get there but still have that quality of life.
1: Totally. And I, I can backpack on what Polly said is the the improvements in quality of life. You're able to go out with your friends and keep up and you're and say you have a pain in one of your joints and you're trying to do the manual chair it it, it makes for quality of life. It reduces risk of injuries and it also has so many great features. As well, like tilting and unweighting, and I could get into this, but yes, pay attention to your musculoskeletal system and listen to your therapist. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let, let's. We're talking a little bit about pain, but somebody that suffers from a spinal cord injury, one of the things we see is spasticity, which I want you to address, which sometimes can really affect how somebody feels, can affect the musculoskeletal system for sure, can can affect skin integrity, but also. I'm going to call it more like central pain, nerve pain, that it's really not just a musculoskeletal pain, but we definitely see individuals with complete and and complete spinal cord injury, injuries suffer from spasticity and that kind of neuropathic pain. Can you talk a little bit about, is there any evidence to treat that? Um, but also I know that you've been using some treatments yet that may not have A lot of evidence, but I know it's definitely an area where, especially people in the PT world are starting to really look at and developing more evidence to support. So go ahead and answer that question.
1: Yes. So the way that spasticity is managed through evidence-based research is a lot of uh, the things I mentioned earlier. So stimulus, you can use full weight bearing. So if my patients are in a spasm, I'll like to, I can either put pressure on their shoulders to kind of ground the system and approximate your system. Um, Full weight bearing in a standing frame, uh, that will help stretch out prolonged stretch of the muscles. So it's not like a manual stretch, but prolonged stretching with weight bearing in a standing frame or in the light gate is great for spasticity management along with different positionings. to break up tone patterns, so four-point quadruped or tall kneeling. Those are positions that you can use to break up the spasm patterns. Um, Polly mentioned something that I have been recently, just got certified in, and although there's not much evidence-based research here yet, um, it's growing. And every time I see a new article published, I get nerd out, and I get so excited to read it because The I, it's dry needling. So dry needling is something that there's so many amazing research articles and benefits for the musculoskeletal system and managing pain and injury. Um, Minimal research on the neuro side of it, but I'm happy to say that the research is coming out and it makes me so excited because the, what I have seen with dry needling, what it is, is you're creating a little micro trauma into the muscle that is having a spasm and what that is is it's it brings blood it's a controlled area of your body that brings blood and oxygen to that to that muscle to that area of spasm and kind of gets it to settle down and be like it stretches it out and then it allows for the muscles once the properties of healing blood and oxygen come to it to get the fibers to come back in a parallel way to, so hopefully it can decrease the spasms i've seen Polly, i've seen so much good benefit from using it um, with my clients so i can't wait to see what evidence and research comes out with yeah, further I think, on
0: you know one it, again i agree with you i think there's a growing body of evidence for that and which is really great because you know that is one of the secondary things we see with spinal cord injury is just that management of spasticity that also comes with some neuropathic pain at times and just discomfort and, and affects their function.
1: Right. If anything, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes people have a hard time even sitting in their chair because of their spasticity. So let's let's talk a little bit about what happens if somebody doesn't have the insurance benefit. Meaning somebody gets 24 visits a year in outpatient therapy to, for PT and OT to manage their spinal cord injury, you know, which is frustrating because you and I both know that longer that they can see a therapist, the better the outcome is going to be in managing this type of injury. So if somebody only gets 24 visits, what is your approach or what do you educate this patient on or emphasize with the patient to continue to do once they're done with you?
1: Once they're done with me, it is imperative to give a patient a home exercise program that they are comfortable and confident with. Um, Setting the patient up to be their biggest advocate in the community and at home and be independent on their own is something that is crucial for quality of life and independence. So making sure that they're being very diligent and with a comprehensive home exercise program, you explain it to them and review it multiple times before discharge along with caregivers, aides, anyone, um, just so that you know that you're still doing the work at home, um, because that's gonna be imperative for your progress and Improving your quality of life and not getting any secondary issues, as Polly was talking about earlier. Um, there's great, as I said earlier, there's so many resources for adaptive sports that people can join. So getting in the community, getting going and doing what you love to give that sense of community back. Um, so there's support groups that you can go... There's options of wellness classes um, that you can join just to stay moving. Uh, Get in the community as much as possible and engulf yourself back into that lifestyle uh, when you're discharged from physical therapy. Um, Polly always uses this uh, reference, and now I've used it, but it's like your dentist. So you have to make sure you find your dentist, make sure you find your therapist, and then you go and see them. And then you come back the next year and you, you get your teeth checked out. Well, we're going to check you out. We're going to see how you're doing. How is your lymphatic system flowing? How are your muscles moving? How are your spasms managed? How's your health managed? And then when you return, we'll get you set up. Hopefully that our patients are doing their job and doing the work at home so we can advance and progress your home exercise program. So we can get you to that next level of independence, given the insurance visits.
0: You know, and I just want to add that I I don't know where I read this, but there was like these different pillars of, of health, these pillars of wellness, and it was be active and move, so exercise, but also you know, have a vocation, something in your life, if it's school, if it's work. But, you know, and that's one of the things that many of our patients that we see here come to therapy. And some people see us for for years and then we can help transition into, okay, it's time. Let's look at vocation. And there's so many resources out there for people to go back to school, for people to maybe they were doing construction at one point in time that they can go back to school and learn another trade, but to put that pillar of life back back into their life and the importance of being social. And you said that. I think it's so important that sometimes after these catastrophic injuries that people have fear mm-hmm. um, of going out in public, um, how do I, how do I access that? How do I travel? Um, how am I going to feel now that maybe I have to use a wheelchair or things look a little bit differently, but the importance of getting back to the socialization with friends, with family, um, you know, from that spiritual side or from that social side is, is just so important because again, it's living that full quality of life. And that's something definitely if you guys are out there, know somebody that's had an injury, or you have an injury yourself of important to have those resources or refer your patient to, you know, a a clinic or an organization that really understands that, yes, it's so important to apply these principles of neuroplasticity, but also to really look at that person as a full person. Yes. So, I want to say thank you so much, Maddie. You are just a wealth of information, and I can see why you have such a strong following of all of your patients that have cord (laughs) injuries. So I want to thank you. And guys, I want to thank you all that... Continue to listen to us on this podcast. Our audience continues to grow every single year. I'm always up for any suggestions, any topics that you would like to hear from. And always, guys, you can follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, The Recovery Project, as well as Facebook. We're also on YouTube, um, LinkedIn as well. And our website is www.therecoveryproject.net. And I want to say just have a fantastic rest of your July. Enjoy your summer and I'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Evidence to Excellence News in Neuroplasticity and Rehab Podcast. We appreciate you and hope that you come back every fourth Tuesday of the month to get more of what's new in evidence and research in the neurorehabilitation world. To learn more about The Recovery Project or to find out what we're up to next, you can visit us anytime at therecoveryproject.net.